How powerful is the phrase, I love you. I love you. Hi, this is Neil with Other People's Shoes. I want to call your attention to a new app that I've discovered called World Love Bank. Now, let me tell you something really quick. There's something powerful about the phrase, I love you. It can do wonders to our mental health. It can just make us feel like we matter and that we value that person that we say it to. Now think about this for a second. Think about the person you you. love most in this world. Got him? Now imagine just for a brief moment, imagine if you could never hear the words, I love you you," ever again. That's what World Love Bank is all about. See, what they're doing is they're capturing the I love you's from loved ones that you can go back in and go into that bank like a savings account and withdraw that I love you. you. Even if that loved one is passed because maybe that loved one has banked their I love you and it'll be there forever. So think about that. Check it out right now. World Love Bank on your favorite app store of choice, whether that be Apple iOS or Android Google Play. Check it out now. World Love Bank. I love you. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't done so already, please jump right over to our website right now, OPSpodcast.com. Great place to hear past, present, and future episodes, in case you're wondering where you can do that. You can also leave us a review there. You can leave us some feedback there. You can even, and this sounds crazy, you can leave us a voicemail there. So fun stuff hanging out over at OPSpodcast.com. If you're on the social medias, which who isn't hello these days, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is where you can find us at OPS Podcast Show. Speaking of show, I really feel like, listen, today's show is going to impact you in more ways than one. And here's why. First off, let me introduce you to our guest today. She's been teaching for 25 years. She taught in elementary education, middle school education, and now she's at University of Chapel Hill. I, I mean, University of Greensboro. Sorry, I got so excited because it said University of North Carolina. I got excited there. She's a mom. She's a wife. But she wrote this amazing book that's going to be coming out soon. And let me tell you right now, I know it's a kid's book, but I'm a child at heart. And maybe you are as well. Because I think this book really could be impactful on so many different levels. The name of the book, There's a Story in Every Seat. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, I guess you're just going to have to stay tuned to find out. Help me welcome in my guest from my Bethlehem, my home away from home that one day I will get back to, North Carolina. Help me welcome in my guest, Stacy Light. Stacy, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Stacy, I got to be honest with you. Had you said, hey, I'm a professor at Chapel Hill, North <laughs> Carolina, I walk past the well every day, the Dean Smith Center. I might have been able to get you on a little bit sooner. (laughs) But I'm still a UNC professor. Doesn't that count for something? Don't we have to add that Greensboro at the end of it? You do, but it's still still all UNC, man. (laughs) Fair enough. Aren't they like the Seahawks or something? Help me with that. Spartans. Oh, the Spartans. Yeah. Who's the yeah, Seahawks? The don't they have the Seahawks, though? There's somebody that's... I don't even know. I, I, I don't know. If we do, it's one of the smaller ones. 
perhaps. All right, we're putting you on the spot a little bit. Name that school yeah. we could play, maybe. Name the mascot and then the school or vice versa. <laughs> It'd be fun. I don't know how well I would yeah. do it. I don't think I would do well. <laughs> well, there's some small schools out there that have weird names. Like, we found that out in March. Like, St. Peter's Peacocks. Like, really? Like, yeah. I used to make yes. fun of our Oregon schools for their non-aggressive animals. A beaver and a That's duck. That's true. And then we have a peacock. Yeah. I'm like, doesn't doesn't yeah. seem that aggressive. It's not very scary. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, a ram and a Spartan, that's scary. You know? That is scary. We are very scary. Yeah, Spartans are scary. Don't mess with they the are. 300. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> so I'm excited about having you on because I think as an author, especially a children's author, that's kind of exciting. Now, we've had young adult authors on, but I think to date, I mean, I don't know, research didn't get back to me. They were maybe on a COVID break or I don't know, who knows what. But I think you might be our first children's book author. Really? That's exciting. Yes, because again, we've had young adult authors, we've had adult authors, but I don't think we've had any children's book authors. Ah, okay. Well, and I write in two genres. I also write adult fiction suspense. So there you go. Well, there we go. See, we're already rocking and rolling with some precedences. <laughs> but my current books that are out are children's books. See, and I think that's fantastic. Gotta ask this most important question. Now, I know you've been on a number of shows and it's been kind of exciting for you to, again, get an opportunity to talk about what you're doing, what you're creating. I bet you no host has asked you this question, and that's this. What style of shoe do you like to wear? Well, I will say at this point, the style of shoe that I wear the most is the Birkenstock because <laughs> I'm on the college campus all the time. But don't laugh at me. I will tell you that this came from a need when I was teaching for years and years, and I started having bone spurs in my feet from standing all the time. And I went to a podiatrist and he said, you know, I can do surgery, but honestly, a good Birkenstock may work wonders for you. And I said, okay, I'm willing to try it. They're ugly, but <laughs> I'm willing to try it. So I started wearing it and lo and behold, I could walk again and, and stand all day without pain. So I became a firm believer in the Birkenstock. And of course, you know, my cool notch went up a little bit on the, on the collegiate level because all kids wear them, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't always wear them when I'm teaching at the college level. I do find them to be very comfortable. And I feel like, you know, Jesus wore them. Not a bad shoe to wear if you wore them. You know, something similar. They always say he's closest thing to maybe a Jesus shoe. So, you know, if he wore them, I, I guess I can walk in his shoes too and be similar, right? Not too bad. <laughs> well, that's so funny you say it. First off, I can't get around sandals in Birkenstocks, especially. Like my wife and daughter, my wife told me she went out and got the original pair of Birkenstocks because I guess there's some oh, yeah. wish versions. That's what I call like the knockoff versions. Oh, yeah. Bad on wish. Oh, yeah. My wife went out and got a pair and I was like, well, how much were they? Because I'm a shoe nut and I, I just like weird stuff like that. And she's like, I don't I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> I was like, right. oh, so they're that much. Now, we do have our yeah. own kind of fun money and things like that. You know, I right. don't want people to think I'm foot shaming my wife. Maybe a little bit. A couple of years ago now, I think for whatever reason, I started signing my emails at the bottom in his sandals. And at the time, my executive producer saw an email come through and he goes, I don't I don't know if I like that. And I was like, his name's Garrett. And I said, Garrett, why not? And I said, yeah. I want to be in his sandals. I want to be in his footsteps. I want to be in his presence. Right. So why wouldn't I want to be in his sandals? Suppose we are always talking about in people's shoes. I want to be in his, he didn't wear Nike, Nikes or Jordans. I mean, Jordans, right. Yeah. I'd get him some if he wanted some. I'd lay that down. Right. Maybe depending on the pair. <laughs> why can't we be in right. his sandals? And so I want to kind of maybe build on that for you. Why is it so important? 
as especially as a teacher, educator, why is it so important to maybe be in the student's shoes, their Birkenstocks? We'll use that. Why is that so important? I, I mentioned to you, you know, when we were preparing for this today that I've taught, I think this is my 27th year of teaching. And there's a lot of ways education has changed, but the one way that has always been consistent, children have to know that you care about them for them to trust you and want to learn from you. And the best way to do that is to build a relationship with them. And it's not just about saying hi to them when they walk in the door. It's really about saying, you know, how was your soccer game that you played? You know, how is your aunt that was sick? And it's going deeper than just the surface level questions that we can all ask on a daily basis. How are you? Anybody can ask those questions, but it's really knowing more about them than the average person goes. And sometimes that means maybe I don't get to that extra chapter in the reading book, but I spend more time with the student caring about what they're going through at home. In the end, once they realize that I'm doing it because I care about them, they usually give more effort in the class. They usually have more respect. In the end, their, their scores end up going up because they want to work harder for you in the end because they know you care about them. And it, and it works that way from kindergarten through the university level. I have students, I wrote a, a Christian children's book, but I work in a public university. And so obviously I don't, I don't ask my college students, you know, you don't have to support this book. You don't have to even read this book, whatever, but they know I wrote a Christian children's book. Most of them came to my, my book signing and that's not because they cared so much about the book. It was because of the relationships we've built. I think that's what's important is the relationship and caring about them. First off, I think that's fantastic. I'm thinking as you're talking and, and walking us through that experience that you've had with your students and the importance of being in their lives, not just being in their life, but being an active participant, I think would be a good way to say that in their lives. I think back to my teachers and a lot of them, I think, cared on some level. Right. But if I'm being completely honest, there are very few that got in deep with us as students. Now, I will say as a caveat, I was not the easiest student to get along with. I remember... <laughs> In fourth grade, we got whiteboards, the yeah. little grease board. And my teacher was big on if you got in trouble, you got your name on the board. And most of us probably experienced that. Maybe, probably not Stacy, because Stacy was a good kid. Yeah. I had my moments. Neil was not. <laughs> and so I got my name on the board. Lo and behold, shocker, nobody's shocked in this moment. Right. And so I go to write my name on the board, and the teacher says, you know, write your name on the board. So I grab yeah. the pin, and it's a Sharpie. And I start to write, and she said, that's permanent. Do not use that pin. You know, it'll be there forever. Won't come off. Won't come off. And I was like, well, you and I both know it'll be here tomorrow, so we're just saving time. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I say that because this same teacher discovered or somehow figured out that this knucklehead here that's mm -hmm. talking right now had dyslexia, and that's what was preventing him from mm -hmm. being a better student. A lot of the anger that was coming out because he was so frustrated and nobody had right. figured it out yet. Five years up until yeah. that point, counting kindergarten forward. And so I say that because she got involved. Yes. What's the danger, and, and I know you can't speak for every teacher, but what would be the danger mm -hmm. for you if you in your heart felt like, I'm not going to get involved. I'm just going to come present the material, grade their stuff, and not care about them. What's the danger in that for you if, if you had that mindset? There's a lot of dangers. I mean, it's kind of twofold. One, I don't think personally I'm going to grow as a person. I can shovel all the information I want that I have in my head out to students. If I'm not doing it a way that's it's making a difference in their lives, I'm going to walk away kind of feeling empty myself. On their behalf, I want to see them grow from A to B. So like my, my current students, I get them as juniors in college 
and then I get to keep them until they graduate. So I get them for two years and I keep them for four semesters. And then I supervise all of their internships and student teaching. And I, I teach them four classes. I see them for seminars and then I go into the schools and I watch them teach and they start out like these scared little baby birds and they don't want to stand up in front of a classroom of children and teach. And I have to say, it doesn't matter. Just make mistakes. It's it's okay. The kids aren't going to judge you. They, they don't realize you're making mistakes. Just get up there and read a story, ask some questions, you know, do your very best. I'll give you some feedback. We're going to get you where you need to go in two years, get ready to graduate. They look back and they're like, I can't believe I'm the same person ready to walk out these doors, prepared to teach because they see their own growth. And that's, that's the fun of it is when you put the time and effort in, then you see this growth. That's the part of it that brings passion into it for me. Well, let's face it. We've all maybe had a bad teacher. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've had a lot of them. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure about that one. Again, I think I've had bad teachers and I can think of reasons why they were bad teachers. In your opinion, quote unquote, an expert. And I know in a lot of respects, you don't carry maybe credentials that make you an expert. But right now we're going to make you an expert. You're now an expert. But in your expert opinion, what makes a bad teacher? Maybe what makes a good teacher? I think it's a great balance between content knowledge and the relationship building and being willing to continue their own learning and not stopping because education is just like the rest of society. It continues to grow and change with all the technology usage that's coming out and how technology changes, the technology in schools and how it's being used grows and changes almost yearly and the curriculum and how it's being used grows and changes. And if you're unwilling to move along with that or you kind of plant yourself into a spot and you're unwilling to grow with it, then the people around you are going to notice that. So a bad teacher, there's nothing that I dislike any more than hearing teachers pick at kids for things that they can't help. Or like in your case, when you said you were dyslexic, I imagine a lot of teachers became frustrated with the fact that you were struggling with reading or struggling to do some things. And some teachers may have answered your questions in a more compassionate manner when you had questions. But some teachers, you can tell, a student can tell when when teachers are compassionate or when they just want to answer a question just to be done with the student, just get out of my way. I'm done with, you You know, you're irritating me and I'll go into classes because my student teachers are in lots of different classes. So I'm in probably 20 different classes a week and, and see lots of different teachers for the most part. Thank goodness. I see a lot of teachers that respond well and engage well and talk kindly to students. Every once in a while, I'll hear a teacher that I think it's time for you to go. The kids need people that are going to be uplifting to them. And even if they're doing something wrong, there's a kind way to teach them the right way to do something. So for you, if we were going to ask that question, that aglid, that thing that's kept you from unraveling in life, yeah, that maybe is kind of the point of view that again, if that wasn't in there, kind of holding everything, keeping it from unraveling, keeping it from fraying, keeping it from being destroyed, mm-hmm. being able to serve its purpose of lacing up the shoe and kind of making things tight. What would that be for you? I feel like there are things that we all have that we are very good at. We have we have passions and we have skills and talents. I believe like if we are using those passions and skills and talents to our best ability, we usually are pretty happy, especially if we have family and friends that also are around us and help us through things. And I would say probably those two things combined are my aglet. I work in an area where I'm passionate and I still am fed in that area and I get up every morning and I'm happy to go there. 
when I'm home, I'm with people who respect me, treat me well. And I guess we just make each other a priority. And I think that's important that the people in your life make each other a priority. My husband and I make time for each other, even though our kids are out of the house, we have grandkids, you know, we still have date nights. We still go away for the weekend. You have to work at that. Make the people in your life a priority. I love that word priority. Now, I know Mary and Webster probably did us good. They gave us a great definition. You know, solidly define the word priority for us. Others can go find that if they want. Yeah. When you hear the word priority, how does Stacy define that word? Oh, it really put me on the spot. But I would just say finding the things in your life that are meaningful and keeping those in front of you. And reminding yourself daily that, that that's your priority. That, that is what keeps you motivated. You have to determine and spend time determining what your priorities are. So nobody's going to walk up to you and give you a piece of paper that says, this is what your priority is. You have to spend time reflecting, learning a lot about yourself to determine what your priorities are going to be and then aim for those daily. Wait a second. You mean nobody's going to do that? <laughs> well, I thought I could buy that on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Amazon has almost everything, by the way. Almost everything. Here's your priorities, Neil. Just it'll be there in like, rel- it's not two days anymore, by the way. Jeff Bezos, just want to say it's yeah, the right. prime thing. Not two days anymore. So stop it. It's not two days. <laughs> like it's like five sometimes. My point is, is that wait, so you can't even go to Costco right, on aisle six and pick up your priorities. No, they're not material things. Mm. Priorities come from within. I believe priorities are things that we just, whether it's people, some people, it might be their job. It might be their faith. It's what makes them tick, what makes them get up in the morning, what their passion is, their, what they spend their time thinking about, what they spend their time researching. If you look at what are you looking at all day long on the internet, you can pick out pretty quick what your priority is. It wouldn't take me long to look at somebody's search engine and determine what their priority is. I think that if you don't know what your priority is, take a look at your search engine and you'll probably figure it out pretty quick. Then you can determine, is this a priority I want to keep? I feel like we just got mommed for a moment in a good way. <laughs> wondering about this too. Harder to educate and be a teacher or harder to be a children's author? Harder to be an educator, for sure. Why is that? There's too many moving parts to being an educator. Too many people currently, I'm about to graduate 18 or so seniors with various personalities, various passions. A lot of them have different goals in life. And I ask them, what are your goals? Let me help you get there. We've got two years to get you there. Let's make a plan and I'm going to help you get there. And then when we feel like we're going the wrong way, we redirect. All right, you're off your path. Let's get back. Or or maybe you are you changing your goal, which is okay too, by the way. A children's author is very much in their own head. I would say the, the biggest part about that is just perseverance is huge in being an author. I, people ask me all the time, how did you become a published author? And I just say the key word is perseverance because a lot of people will say, I've always wanted to write a book. I've had an idea for a book for years and I've never done it. I just say, do it. You have to put the time in and you have to persevere. And the biggest, for me, the biggest thing that was hard about it and scary was navigating the publishing world because I didn't have a clue how to do it. You just have to be willing to make mistakes just like you do in life. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to meet this person and they're going to help me network. And in the end, if you really want it, you'll get there. As a teacher, I'm guessing the 18 students going through, by the way, we we do applaud that. That's awesome. I mean, first of all, I work with counting myself too. So I'll count myself in that seven different personalities in a retail environment. And we all from all walks of life 
all different police yeah. structures, everything. You know, we all have those coworkers that are just a little odd. I might be that one. <laughs> I am too. My thought is what an amazing opportunity to walk them through that process to get them to the finish line. Because again, graduating from college in and itself is kind of an accomplishment. It used to be such a thing that everybody's doing, but I feel like nowadays with COVID, it's it's been extremely hard to graduate. I would imagine, again, not in that college scene. For you, that again is reason to celebrate. For you, have there been maybe moments where you felt like, man, I, I just absolutely blew it and failed. If you don't mind, maybe how did you fail? And then maybe how did you rise above that to learn from that? I will say probably one of the most difficult kids, and this is not in the college realm, but I also taught middle school for a while, which is difficult all in itself because they're just a different breed of of kids, but they're also awesome to work with. But when I first started working at a school in Greensboro, there was a gang community here, the Latin Kings which have now dissipated. And there's a long story there. You can look it up. We had some students that were getting very involved in this gang. And I mean, they were getting beat into the gangs on the weekends. And one of the gang members' daughters was in the sixth grade, not in my class, but in a different class. It was very unnerving. I, I'll be honest, you know, because you, as a teacher, you know, you want to insert yourself in your students' lives as much as possible. But when it comes to gang life or working with the parents of someone that's in a gang, you have to tread lightly and kind of like, where is the line? Where do I go with this? And this is not an area that I was comfortable with. So I had a student who he was in my academically low class. He was always in trouble and he was a student that was getting involved in the gang. I started seeing that the student was much brighter than he was actually giving in class. So I think he was kind of dumbing himself down to be cool, didn't want to be the smart kid. And I mentioned it to the math teacher because we worked in teams. And I said, you know, I really think this kid is super smart, but he has been in low classes for years. And so we, we started talking about it. And then we just started kind of watching the student and how he was performing. I wish, so my mistake here was, I wish I had acted earlier. And I think it was a little bit out of fear. The parents of the student were not easy to work with and were kind of known to be harsh. In the end, I just started saying like, all right, set that aside and worry about the kid. It's it's about the kid. So I went to the principal and I said, I would like your permission to move this student, not just to the average class, just my average kids, but I want to move them to the advanced class. She was like, you got to be kidding me. And I said, I really think this kid is advanced and just not showing it. I got her permission and the math teacher agreed that he would also try it. So we went to the student and said, we, we pulled him aside after school one day, the two of us and said, all right, we really think that you have the ability to be an amazing student. And, you know, of course he's dropping F-bombs at us and he's, you know, not at all interested in what we're saying to him. But eventually we just said, listen, we're putting you there for two weeks. Well, he made us promise that if it got around to other students, he was going to the advanced class. He wanted us to tell people it was because we were disciplining him that way and that we were putting him there for behavior. So we said, fine, if anybody asks, we put you there for for your behavior. Long story short, we did that. He just happened to be coming into my class during the poetry time. And I thought, oh Lord, he's going to hate this. And actually he loved it. And he was so smart. He would actually tell people that he would get detention after school on Wednesdays, would hold detention after school in my class on Wednesdays. He would stay after school on Wednesdays, not because he really had detention, but he would want to do poetry with me after school. 
I guess my biggest thing that I regret was that I didn't that I didn't do it earlier because he could have had the full year experience in the advanced class. At the same time, I look back and think, well, after that, he did so well in the advanced class. When he moved on to the next grade, they just placed him in advanced classes for the next few years and he just continued to move on through advanced classes. So it was a great experience, but I wish I had done it earlier and not allowed my fear of who he was affiliated with to be the reason I was willing to wait a little bit. Well, I think that kind of segues us into the new book that's coming out. Now, it's not yeah. out yet. We're excited. It's coming. It's 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 yes. kind of almost done. It, yeah. If it's a turkey in the oven, we're waiting for that <laughs> proverbial, you know, button to kind of pop up because yeah. it's it's still marinating in some respects. And I got to be honest, when I first heard it and the idea behind it, I was my mind was like trying to keep the hat on cuz you know, my <laughs> brain was about to explode because I just thought it was such a neat idea and a neat concept. So tell us about that. I have a children's book that will be published shortly. And the title of the book is going to be called There's a Story in a Receipt. And it really comes from these opportunities that I've had with students where I've had to put aside maybe some of my feelings or, you know, like the student being involved in gangs and things like that. And just say, I'm going to dive in deep and get to know this kid and care about the kid and make a difference in their lives and get to know them. But the the purpose of the book is to say that every child that sits in the seat in a classroom, maybe a base, a baseball coach, there's a story and every player, there's a story in every person in the pew of a church. If you're a pastor looking out, if you're a a CEO of a business, there's a story in every seat in your company of every worker as well. So there's a story behind everyone and not everyone has had the perfect background or had the perfect parents. And some people come from trauma. We come from different countries. We come from diverse backgrounds. We come from so many different things, but I want kids to see the value in other children. So that's what the book is about is I want the kids to learn that they have value, they have purpose, and it doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. And I want them to also feel that way about the other students in the classroom. That is the whole story behind there's a story in every seat. And to me, that's what's so powerful about it, because I really feel like even though it's a children's book, I think there's there's great value in that. Yes. Like one of my favorite stories of all time is give a mouse a cookie, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know why. I just love that. Yes. I just love that story because I think he just wants more and right. more and more. Yeah. Right? And we first started talking about that. I just thought, man, that is so powerful because I think so many times we forget what it's like to be that human on the other side of the counter, vice versa, whatever. We don't remember what it's mm-hmm. like. A lady recently was cutting my hair. She said, I think every young person needs to work in a restaurant. I agree with that. Which I think is true. Yeah. And they need to work in customer service. Right. And they need to make people's food and they need to serve people. But I think for me, again, I think if we had those valuable lessons instilled in our young people. I think we might have a better workforce out there. Just saying, because yeah. I know right now in our country, it's really hard to get workers to show up, even adults, much less, you know, young people. Well, I want to ask you about this quote, actually. It comes to us from kind of a famous person. So I'm going to, I'm going to just share it and, <laughs> and then I'm going to see if you can okay. guess who might've said it. No pressure, of course, you know, drum roll, no pressure. It's fine. Your job isn't on the line or anything like that. <laughs> Anyone who does anything to help a child in his life or her life, we'll add that, is a hero to me. Ooh, that's a good quote. I like it. Who do you think might have said that? Mother Teresa? No. Actually, it was Fred Rogers. Oh, yeah. That's so awesome. Or Mr. Rogers. Loved him. But my question is, I'm never going to question Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, but I kind of want to right now. Like, he's he's gone. Maybe one day we'll have a reunion day in heaven. I hope so. But for me, is he right in that? Is he right in his statement that 
anyone who does anything to help a child in his or her life is a hero to me. I absolutely agree with that. I have seen kids come to school without food in their stomach, without their hair being brushed, the basic necessities of life, their basic needs being met. They haven't had a good night's sleep. They haven't had food in their belly. When you, as a teacher, recognize that, and it doesn't even have to be a teacher, but anyone recognizes that if they just hand them a granola bar, it is amazing what power you have and connection you've just made because you have met a basic need in somebody's life. And not only are you feeding them and giving them, you know, something that's going to sustain them, but you have built trust. You've literally built a world of trust in just handing somebody a packet of goldfish crackers or something just that simple. And even for kids that come in and don't, they'll say, I don't have a pencil. I can't write today because I can't find my pencil. If you say to them, you know, have one of my pencils and most of them will usually say, well, I'll give it back to you at the end or something like that. And I'll just say, keep it. It's yours, but just, you know, try to keep up with it. So you don't have to, you know, lose it again and just try to try to keep up with it. Just something as simple as a pencil can make a huge difference in the life of a kid. What I don't like is when teachers berate a child because they lost their pencil and make them feel insignificant or less than because they've lost their pencil. And I hear that all the time. And, you know, they, they would rather spend five minutes yelling at a kid about losing your pencil or why can't you bring your pencil? Why can't you do this? Why can't it really doesn't matter. Give them a pencil. Keep it moving, you know, teach them because once you've yelled at them, they're not going to learn from you. Just give them the pencil and keep it moving. Well, so many times I'm hearing this phrase, especially in my kind of corporate sales environment, earn the right. Now, what that means to me is I've earned the right to continue to talk to somebody. I've earned the right to kind of have an audience with them. I've earned the right to be able to speak maybe to them about their situation, whatever it may be. Yes. And when you hear that phrasing, earn the right, what does that mean to you? Not only as a author, but as an educator, because again, we got two hats that were, we got that Sherlock Holmes kind of hat. We yeah. Got two dueling Ooh, I, hats I like almost. that. I like that. I need one of those hats. I want to buy one. I don't know. I Just saying, one. I might mess up I your need one. Yeah. And my, my writing might get better. Well, you know, as an author, one thing that became really clear to me, I, when I first wrote my first book, my extended family lives in Mississippi and part of the, the setting was in the coastline of Mississippi. And I earned the right to write that because I had spent a lot of time there and I had not ever lived there. So I never had Mississippi as my zip code. However, I researched and researched and researched before I wrote about any of the animals and things like that. And even though I had spent almost all of my summers there fishing and loving the wildlife and doing that with my family members, I felt like I had to earn the right to write about it by doing extra research and making sure that my research and the facts that I wrote about the state were true. I thought that was very important. I didn't want to say something about the wildlife that lived there was incorrect and I didn't want to teach a child something incorrect. Going back to the earn the right thing, as an educator, if I walk into your classroom disenchanted, if I'm just not caring, if I my arms are crossed, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever sat through a timeshare presentation. <laughs> That's a good way to get out of not going to the next level. Cross your arms, act like you you don't want to be there. They're not going to call on you. They're not going to make you do anything and you get your free, whatever it is that you want to get. A little timeshare help there too. That's a bonus. I haven't done it, but now I know. Thanks. 
Well, yeah, there you go. Just wear like a really obscene shirt. No, okay, maybe not. My buddy wore like a Punisher shirt. Anyway, they didn't call on him, and he just act like he didn't care. Me, on the other hand, like I'm eating everything up because I just love that energy in the room. And they're like, you're the guy we're going to come talk to. Great. We're never getting out of here. I say that because so many times I think, and I'm guilty of this, I over-talk a situation. I overshare a situation. I want somebody to care so bad. My wife teases me all the time. Like, you care probably more than most. You care too much. Now, I know, again, you're not Dr. Stacy, and you're not a marriage expert either. Is that really a thing? Can someone care too much, in your opinion? I do think so. I also think it depends on what they care about. You have to decide what you're going to care about and, and if you're going to care about too much. If you care too much about, you know, the child's needs being met, like I said something about giving a child a granola bar, but if you start feeding the child all of their meals and now they're not hungry when they go home to their actual family, so they don't want to sit down to have a meal with their actual family, then yeah, I think you've kind of crossed the line and you've cared too much. I think you have to know your place and know where to be helpful. I think a lot of that comes with communication and saying, I want to be helpful. How can I be helpful? Tell me what is too much. Tell me where, where the line is. I don't want to cross the line. And I think that's where some people don't ask the question because I think sometimes people want to help. And I think it's great when people want to help because in society, sometimes we feel like people aren't as helpful as they used to be. So when someone is really helpful, it's, you always go, wow, it's great to see help. On the other hand, you have to know your your lines and you have to know when not to cross into someone else's family time or something like that. Most of the time it comes from a good place though. Like people that do that have big hearts and I don't think that's ever wrong. Ask the questions. So when Stacy's done and class is dismissed, yeah. no more students, no more recess, no more late nights grading papers, Staying awake in the stale coffee in the teacher's lounge. I don't, I don't know. I'm just imagining the teacher's lounge being this amazing, you know, place. It's probably nothing. <laughs> we used to tell kids there was a whirlpool in there and they were like, really? <laughs> Fair enough. I got actually into our high school teacher's lounge and it was not that exciting. But no, by, before the door, it looked like, you know, I don't know, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Like I was like, how do I get the golden ticket to get into that place? Because they had all kinds of cool snacks. I imagined it was like yes. a massage table. Yep. You know, I don't know. And it wasn't. It was nope. very disappointing, <laughs> by the way. Super disappointing. Like, greatest letdown of my life, by the way, getting into the high school teachers. On What do you hope your students remember most about you as an educator? I hope that they walk away wanting to make a difference in their students' lives the way I made a difference in their lives. And I hope that they are looking for the story in every seat. They're going to learn to add and they're going to learn to read. But at the end of the day, you need to make a difference in people's lives. For me, when I'm done teaching at the university, I never stop making a difference in people's lives. Because I think so many times when we know something might be coming to an end, there I think there's a little bit of sadness to that. But again, I, I like what you're saying, that if they kind of keep that mindset, that everyone really has a story in the seat. Like if we take that principle and we apply it to business, we apply it to personal, we apply it to church, we apply it to Little League, we apply it to, you know, the guy pumping our gas. Because out here in Oregon, we don't get to pump our own gas. We're, we're privileged little babies, apparently. We can't do that. So it's a fun story. <laughs> I love it. You know, 
the person at Costco giving us the snack. I hate Costco, but I do like their snacks, and they're finally doing that again. Thank you, COVID. It's finally yeah. over. We get snacks at Costco again. Yeah. I might go back now, Costco. You you might have won me over yeah. again. You can have lunch there again. You know, the barista making my cup of coffee. If we stop for a second and we think, man, what are they really going through? I think there's some conviction in that. Not even a pastor preacher per se, but I think I'm, I personally am convicted by what you said today. So anyway, just want to share that with you. Stacy. how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way, you know, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas can get a hold of the book and the new book that's coming. I know isn't out yet. Like I said, it's still in the oven, but it's close. It's close. Yeah. But when it is available, it's going to be available where? It will be available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and any big retailer. And my current book, Good One God, which really teaches children to appreciate the nature and everything God has made is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also go to my website, which is Stacy Light, but you spell it L-E-I-C-H-T.com. And you can see me there. You can buy books off my website. You can keep up with me there. And I just love reaching out and meeting people of different walks of life and getting to know different Christians and different people that like to learn about different people's stories. And again, remind us the new book that's coming out. That name again, one more time. There's a story in every seat. Awesome. Thank you so much. So Stacy, I think before we let you go, we got to play a game together because our research department found out that you're kind of like the biggest <laughs> game player kind of in the, you know, Carolinas. I heard there's like tournaments that you're just killing it yeah. in. You're, you're like hustling, you know, people with your mad yeah, skills. Mad skills. So. Dungeons and dragons and dice rolling <laughs> games, right? You're yeah. totally into that. You know right? it. That's what I do on the side. Just don't tell people. All right. That's like your side hustle. Everyone needs one, apparently. <laughs> I don't know why I got sent this North Carolina Cup in honor of your presence today. I don't know why. Ooh, yeah, awesome. Jeff Bezos came through again. Here's the funny story. Like, look, if you can see here, there's like there's like glue that's not part of the cup. It actually got glued back together again <laughs> because it fell off a shelf. <laughs> It truly is a broken vessel that's been put back together. Oh, sad. Okay. Because every student on some level is a broken vessel that's been put back together again, yes. right? By a great teacher. I hope so. Yeah. Every teacher out there can do that. Segwayed right into that. That's so awesome. So I'm going to okay. roll for you. I promise I won't cheat. <laughs> this is scary. Okay. Ooh. Number two. Nice. There it is. Oh, look, it's it's even a light. How does it, how does that happen? It's a light blue too. Also, Perfect. it's sad. No, really around here. Yeah. Number two. All right. Number two is this. And it's kind of fitting. And it's almost weird that the dice knows what we're talking about when you hear this question. <laughs> I'm I'm serious. Like, I don't know how this happened. You saw me. I didn't cheat. Nope, you didn't. Who has touched your life and where have you felt the impact? Ooh. Good question. Who has touched my life and where have I felt the impact? Well, I will say, am I allowed to have more than one person? It just says who. So I'm assuming <laughs> I'm not a grammar person. But okay. Who seems like one, doesn't one, it? All right. Yes, that's true. I mean, you kind of teach that stuff, right? I do. I do. It's not plural. It's not. Okay. You're right. I just was okay, wondering, I like, cheat. that's not a possessive who, right? I, I And I don't even know yeah. how I pulled that out of my hat. It's pretty impressive. Because I'm, I'm bad at DOL. Yeah. So yes, it's one because it's who. I'm going to go with my mom. And I will say that because my mom has a real way of making everybody feel comfortable, especially when they come to her home. She just, she just loves people. She is just easygoing and carefree. She tends to find something positive in everyone. And I like that about her. I tried to be a lot like her in that way where not only do I see a positive in every person, but I try to find something 
positive in every day. Even if I'm having a bad day, I, I literally will say to myself, what positive thing has happened today that I can flip the switch so I can focus on the positive. Does she know you feel that about her? Well, you know, she's she's going to be kind of the main character of my next children's book. Yeah, so she's she does know. I, in fact, I just had a slumber party with her last night. Isn't that their best? My husband, he's in Sweden. And so I called her and said, do you want to have a slumber party? So I spent the night with my mom and dad and my dog came over too. So I hope they know I feel that way. I tell them all the time how much they mean to me. I probably should tell her that again and again and again because she tells me again and again and again so many wonderful things about me. I just know one thing that these last really three years have taught me is when I have that that urge, and I think we all know what I'm talking about, that nudge, that kind of, that person that pops into your head, you're going 65 down the freeway and all of a sudden, you know, somebody from your contact list or somebody from the past, and maybe it's a coworker or whoever, somebody will pop into my head and undoubtedly I'm like, oh, I need to call them. I need to, I need to send them a tax or I need to send them a gift or, you know, not a gift, but a gift, you know, those funny yeah, messages we send. I need, I need to just reach out, send them a Facebook message or DM them on Instagram. And sometimes I don't, but I want to be more cognizant of that. And I want to react to that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think COVID didn't do us any favors by separating all of us. And I think a lot of people still, even though some of the laws have changed and we're trying to get back to a new norm, I still feel like people are somewhat distant. We're having to kind of relearn how to get reacquainted. And, you know, you just still see people bumping elbows instead of shaking hands and things like that. And it's not all bad. Definitely think that when those names pop on our head, if you just take that 30 seconds to just send a text to say, just thinking of you, miss you, that can make somebody's day. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, Stacy, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. I hope it wasn't too crazy, too chaotic for you. No, I loved it. It was great. All right, good. So I want to ask you guys this question. You guys being the kids, campers, boys and girls, children of all ages. I want to ask you this question. How many of you remember back in school that one kid? Come on, think back. Close your eyes. Maybe if you if you're not driving, close your eyes. If you're if you're folding laundry, stop. If you're on that proverbial run that I need to be more on, take a minute and just use this as your kind of like cool down for a second. I just want your undivided attention. Turn the radio maybe up a little bit. Have the kids be quiet for just a moment. But I want to ask you this question. Do you remember back in school that kid that sat by themselves? The one that maybe smelled a little differently, that dressed a little differently, that looked a little differently, that his mom maybe cut his hair by putting the bowl on his head and cutting around it? That kid. Yeah, that's the one I want to talk about. We had a kid in our school. His name was Zach, and I'm, I'm making up a name just for privacy's sake. But I remember this kid, Zach, nobody sat with, nobody played with, nobody talked to. And he, I think he went through kind of two years of elementary school with nobody really as his quote unquote friend. And I look back now and I want to punch my fifth grade, fourth grade self because I was so mean to Zach. I was terrible to Zach. You know, nowadays we, we call it bullying. I was part of that, which is sad because I myself was, you know, made fun of in so many respects, but I just would flip it on people and make fun of them. Because here's the question. Is there a Zach right now in your life that should be an invited in to the table of your life. Now, a good friend of mine, Sean McCoy, you guys know, he had a podcast for a lot of years called Come to the Table, and he would invite people to a proverbial table. So I want to ask you this question. Think back to that lunch table. Is there somebody in your life that you can invite to your lunch table that is sitting alone? I want you to think about that this week. 
Maybe there's somebody. And maybe it's a virtual lunch table. Maybe you get on a Zoom. Maybe you get on a FaceTime. Maybe you get on something technology-wise. That's the joy of technology now. We can see each other in a moment. And maybe like Stacy, you have a sleepover with him. Maybe a virtual sleepover. That'd be fun. It'd be weird, but it'd be fun. I want to challenge you so much this week to have somebody at a table to sit down with them and just know their story. And if you do that, we let me know. Love to know. OPSpodcast.com. You can let me know there. Of course, there's a connections page there. You can let me know. You can also let me know on social media, OPS Podcast Show under Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Let us know there. You can send us a message. And before I let you go, before I have you go out into the world and invite somebody into this table to, to have a meal with, to sit with, I don't want you to forget this. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.